Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Venu, the CTO at Presidio, and we discuss the differences in the last three decades of market transitions, why AI and hyper automation will continue to revolutionize all industries, and how Presidio is using their own internal Shark Tank competitions to stay on top of innovation. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello, hello. Hey, good afternoon. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Are you ready to make a podcast? Yes, I'm looking forward to it. We're doing it. We're recording. We're just going to hang out and talk. Is that cool? Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I, I was reading like all about your background and I love it, right? You've got so much experience and so many different areas. But one of the things that was actually like on our mind today here at the company was go-to-market strategy. And I noticed that that's like one of the things that you do. You deal with go-to-market technology strategy. Now, like I don't expect like you to have like the perfect insights for us being a small, you know, we're under 15 people. But I was just curious from your perspective, like at Presidio, like what does a go-to-market strategy look like? Yeah, that's a great question, Joel. So from our perspective, go-to-market strategy is how do we actually take a, a lot of the technology noise that's out there, right? And if you look at the terminologies that are being used heavily today, it's digital transformation, it's cloud, it's security, it's workforce transformation, and all of that have so much of noise and so many different vendors there. How do we actually take that and kind of create really true business outcome solutions for our customers. That's what a go-to-market strategy is. So we've got all this technology uh, evolutions going on, all these market transitions going on. Customers have, I would say, almost uh, an overload of information. You know, they, they look at social media, they look at obviously a lot of the vendors giving them information and what a, a true service provider like a Presidio can bring to the table is kind of, filter all that noise, listen to what the customer is wanting to really achieve from a business outcome, and then map that technology, the right type of technology solution to fix that business outcome. And I think that's what a true go-to-market actually means. Yeah, so as the market's moving, because so you have like your first product, let's say like an earlier company, you've got your first product, you have your customer base, but then you notice the market's kind of moving. So you're just constantly in this process of, understanding their needs, building and launching products. Is yes. that how it goes? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, again, w one of the things that we do and we pride ourselves is if you, if you think about, let's take cloud, for example, right? You've got Amazon Web Services, you've got Microsoft, you've got Google, you've got Alibaba, you've got Baidu, you've got a whole bunch of cloud providers. You look at security, there are over 500 different vendors for security. How do we, how does a customer actually take that information and then say, all right, what is the right solution with the right mix of vendors for my particular business outcome? And that's, and that business outcome, to your point, it keeps changing. You know, there might be a requirement to move to a hybrid cloud environment. There might be a requirement to, to move a multi-cloud environment. It could be as uh, SaaS as an offering. It could be X as an offering. How do they actually tie all that together? And I think that's a, it's a constantly evolving thing. And the way we keep ourselves updated on that is, you know, we constantly listen to our customers. One of the best pieces of advice I got early in my career is, 
always listen to your customer. Keep your customers really close. So we have a, uh, we've been blessed with, you know, obviously almost close to 7,000 customers. We've got a good subset of customers that we constantly go. We talk to them about their requirements. We showcase our solution offerings, our technology product offerings, and we say, hey, here's something that we are doing with cloud or here's something we are doing with workforce transformation. They give us input and feedback. They're more than happy to be one of our early launch customers in some of these cases. So that constant evolution is truly what defines a go-to-market. So like right now, because of the size of our company and we're all so close, we have the team and we're starting to see, you know, who has an affinity for, you know, running these experiments and figuring these things out and then deploying them and, and so on. But when you get to such a large organization with so many customers, are, are you still doing that the entire time as the executive leader? And, and do you also like build teams that learn how to do that? Like, how do yeah. you expand that out? Yeah, I, I, I usually say that I'm the dumbest guy in the room. So I've got, I've been blessed with uh, a really strong team. Uh, we call it the office of the CTO. And uh, the, the team has uh, really strong subject matter experts on uh, a, a lot of different things. You know, we've got subject matter experts on workforce transformation. We've got subject matter experts on collaboration. So these folks, um, hold on one second. Can, yeah, yeah, we can pause. Yeah. I don't know where that is coming from. <laughs> this, these are my favorite parts, by the way. So if you go to the Mac, you have the option of just say, do not disturb and just leave it at that. It's on the notification. Yeah, but it turns off. Yeah. It doesn't? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It'll turn off after. I promise you. Well, okay. So let me back up. When I was playing with it eight months ago, it would it would just turn off. The same on your phone. Like after a couple hours or, or 12, however many hours, the do not disturb will just come off. Or actually on my phone, I think it's persistent, but on the desktop notifications, because I Googled for it and there were like people that had found this workaround because you could set like hours of do not disturb, right? And so by default, it'll just like come back off of do not disturb, I think like the next day. But if you go in there and you set, click like a checkbox that says uh, set like a specific time frame, then you can do like 1259 to like 1259 or 1159 or something, uh, whatever the article did. And now it's like permanent. For my desktop yeah yeah well i'm gonna try it out we'll see how it uh, shapes up but going back to your original question so like i said um you know we we have a really strong team that is responsible we've got subject matter experts if you look at the uh presidio organization joel we've got about 1600 engineers uh, that's a huge team and we've got you know subject matter experts from everything from collaboration security cloud managed services, uh, you know, even some of the emerging technologies like uh, IoT, 5G, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. So we've got a really good team, and this team constantly uh, keeps an update on what's going on on our customers, what's going on with the market industry, and, you know, obviously talking to the gardeners and the foresters of the world as well. Uh, so that's how we are able to craft some of these and keep, keep constantly being uh, able to educate our customers on these different solutions and different vendors out there. Nice, nice. And how, how do you spend, how are, like today, I know things have been changing because the world's just constantly changing. But as of today, like, how are you spending your time? Like, what's like the one thing that you spend the most time on? Um, again, uh, a lot of time in front of our customers. And I'll, I'll explain why. So 
if you really if you really break this apart and we you know we've got the global pandemic and uh, obviously things like that but uh, even if even right before the global pandemic hit i actually consider this as uh, the third decade of market transition so we went from the first decade to which was more of a client server decade where everything was centralized you had users applications data all centralized within a data center users were all within a, a building and an office location that was kind of the 2000 to 2008 9 time frame and then you had the financial crisis and then you get into the second decade which is you know as users were still centralized you had some remote office users but predominantly most of the people used to go to work at a particular location and then apps and data were getting a little bit more distributed because you had the onset of cloud so applications were being created outside and data was being created outside but predominantly users were still on prem for lack of better words uh, what has happened that this third decade is especially accelerated now due to covid is the fact that you've now moved to this third decade where users applications and data are all over the place you have data users working from home you have users working in an office you have applications in the in the cloud you have applications on prem you have applications with a saas provider you have data being created at home you have data being created in an office and a public cloud personal cloud so they're actually entering into what i would call as this third decade of edge and hybrid cloud architecture its users applications data being completely distributed it's a really exciting time because you know when you look at the obviously there's there's a lot of uh, stuff going on with the global pandemic but from a technology perspective what we've seen is whenever you have these market inflections it leads to new innovations there's always going to be the next amazon the next nutanix the next rubrics you know the next palo alto networks there's there's always going to be that new innovative vendor that comes in so these days that's what i'm really focused on is i'm i'm listening to our customers of what they are going through in terms of their priorities they want to be you know more secure you know they are they are nervous because now you've got a whole section of people working from home you've got essentially a mismatch uh, or a mix not a mismatch a mix of uh you know corporate traffic that actually intermingles with somebody watching netflix at home with your kids playing <laughs> video games and you know people are worried they're like hey look we've got all this traffic mixing up at home that is then getting into the corporate network how do we actually secure that how do we how do we prioritize corporate traffic like a zoom traffic over somebody watching netflix or somebody playing a video game how do we how do we do that so secure and prioritize traffic most customers i talk to they're like look we are not we're not bringing our workforce back entirely there's always going to be that 20 to 30% that are now going to work from home because we've shown that this model works so there's a there's a part of that saying okay how do we actually cut costs and reduce office infrastructure space then there's a uh, there's the the customers who want to see how they can take automation to a whole new level you know things like robotic process automation because they realize that they have to do more with less and when you have to do more with less now you're talking about robots and manual processes being done by humans are actually being now taken over by you know bots and robots that can actually automate a lot of these tasks so there's a there's a lot of these new what i would call as and i just i just shared kind of three things with you but in my mind there's a lot more and there's this there's this whole requirement about 6 to 10 different requirements that are coming up 
because of the market transitions, because of the global pandemic. And what our customers are telling us is we, we got all these business requirements that we know can be solved by technology. And Presidio come in and help us solve these problems with technology. And, um, you know, so that's a, that's a great opportunity in my mind for us, for our team to really innovate. And that's what I'm spending a lot more of my time right now. Yeah, well, shout out to the company. The very, very bright person. I'm, I'm excited to like, oh, I want to talk to you about so many different things. So the next 10 years you were just describing as these items or are sort of like lining up to help predict this next decade, right? Yeah. So what do you, have you figured out, like, are you hypothesizing and like scheming over there? Like, coming up with ideas about like what that next Palo Alto networks is like where that ball is moving. So you guys can be there. Or do you think it's just a bunch of these small items that you mentioned and just executing on those? Well, will get you to where you want to be. I, I think it's a combination. I, I honestly believe that we as a company um, have to look at the market and then decide, okay, what are some of the exciting vendors that are coming out there uh, and look at what is the next Palo Alto or look at what's the next Amazon. Uh, that's part of the process. But there's a lot of these small things that we could be doing right now as well, uh, helping our customers solve this work from home issues, working on things like robotic process automation, helping customers automate some of the stuff. Uh, so it's a, it's a combination of, uh, of both. There are obviously some really exciting vendors that are out there uh, on, the, on the robotic process automation front. It's UiPath is a, is a great is a great new vendor that's coming out that uh, we are really getting close to. Amazon Web Services has always been uh, on the bleeding edge. They are coming out with a lot of innovation. There's a lot of companies on the 5G uh, spectrum that are paying a lot of attention to. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of these small companies that are kind of what I would call as real adjacencies to what we do today that we can pay attention to. And then there's obviously that we've got our eyes on uh, the next uh, next big unicorn out there that is going to be uh, creating something, but it's too early right now in the cycle. Oh, so you've you've identified your unicorn hunting. You've identified one. It's just too early to say it, to call it. I think it's too early to say it. I also don't know if uh, some of those things that they are proposing is going to take on market transition. Uh, I think or market uh, traction, if for lack of a better word. So I do see them eventually progressing and and uh, getting to that critical mass but I think it's too early right now to say okay these are the these are the ones that uh, are going to make a huge impact like UiPath is one that I would say yes absolutely that is one that is going to be out there be really really relevant because they check a lot of these boxes Joel they check the box about uh, doing a lot of automation they check the box about cost savings for customers they check the box of uh, being able to really make a difference for customers to be able to provide a unique experience to their customers. So I think that's, that's a home run as an example. So how are these, like, how do your customers find you? Like, what's the, what's like the, I know you've probably got like different products and different ways, but what's the most common path? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, uh, you know, we've got 400 uh, client execs or relationship people on the street. So these are, these are our actual account execs and our client execs that work with our clients. So they've got existing relationships that they bring to the market. So we've got 
Uh, we've got about 400 uh, focused client execs that work with our clients. Uh, we also get brought in a lot by, you know, uh, our, our vendor partners like a Cisco, like a Palo Alto, like an Amazon Web Services. When they get an inbound call from their customer, they say, hey, you know, let's, let me bring you to Presidio. And then, you know, we also have our own marketing and demand gen activity as the third leg of this tool that allows us to go in and do a lot more uh, marketing and demand gen. Like this is one of the examples of, you know, like what we're doing right now is an example of getting the word about, getting the word out on who Presidio is and what can Presidio do. And then finally, we do work with the gardeners and the foresters of the world, trying to see how we can get on their uh, recommended list or their magic quadrant or on the forester wave so that we are more visible to the uh, to the outside outside world nice yeah because that that marketing piece that visibility piece is like absolutely critical yeah that's why we try to like when when we do uh you know the the guest planning and all of that for the show we look for very interesting people that are you know at companies that we like and and you know like their culture and who they are and what they're trying to do in the world so that we can you know help amplify the word as much as possible yeah yeah um again it's it's, it's a you know joel it's a really interesting time i think uh, technology you know one of the things that we found as we were going into this global pandemic was the the companies that had already leveraged technology, that were already ahead of the digital transformation curve, did really well. You know, they were ready to uh, take in uh, their home users. They were ready to. They were ready with people to work from home, and so there was a. a, a they they were uh, more cloud ready, so that they could actually provide all those applications and services right from cloud to their home users. So I think. Um, those customers were really ready. And what I'm seeing right now is a lot of customers who probably were not that advanced in technology or using technology are now coming to us and saying, all right, let's accelerate some of these, some of these innovations and some of these technology transitions um, because of the pandemic. So I think the pandemic, in my opinion, has actually shortened or accelerated some of these technology transitions um, and kind of brought the timeline from three to five years to probably six to nine months. Yeah, and it makes sense with how humans work because you know, people typically hate changes like in routine and they like the same behavior patterns, um, which I'm sure like evolutionarily is useful. But when you get that uh, flexibility, that like, you know, that, that mental uh, flexibility that things are changing, it's easier to introduce new things and then you can get results and then you can take that energy and put it back in. So it would make sense to build some, mo some change momentum during a time where we were forced uh, changes for other reasons. Cause it's like, everyone's so like malleable. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. For you as a person, let's get like human here. Like, what do you like to geek out about? What do I like to geek out about? Uh, geek out about. Uh, so I'm a big. Uh, I, I read a lot of books, obviously. Uh, but one of the things that uh, really gets me excited is not just the technology side of it, but I'm also a, a firm believer in trying to think about how the technology actually impacts the human experience. Um, that's that's an area that I think uh, a perfect example is artificial intelligence and hyper automation, as they call it, which is great. But in the sense on okay, how is that actually impacting? people? How is it actually impacting employees? Because uh, if you really sit and think about it, 
there's obviously that concern of are we trying to eliminate jobs? Uh, and the way I look at it is we're not really trying to eliminate jobs. I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to move people, upskill them a little bit. So that's a very interesting topic that I've been focusing a lot on right now. A lot of people who are not in the technology field really don't understand the power of uh, where we are as it relates to artificial intelligence and hyper automation and machine learning. There's, 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 there's the human to machine interaction. There's, the, there's then the machine to machine interaction, which um, if you really sit and think about it, is getting more and more you know, prevalent right now. Like, why do people buy a Tesla? It's not because they've got the best engine. It's a software defined car. That's what it is at the end of the day. And, and that experience is, is great. And if you test drove a Tesla, and if you look at what the autopilot and even the self-driving capability can do, it is really, really scary, right? And uh, AI is, is far more accurate uh, and it doesn't take on the human biases. So I think, I think that's, a, that's a really interesting field that I'm geeking out right now to answer your question. So I think AI, machine learning, uh, and what the impact is on the human experience is something that is uh, that's really really keeping me uh, up at night just to you know just on the education front of it. Yeah, a lot of the uh, the new model Ys started showing up like all this past two weeks in in my location. Yep. And it's just they all have like their temporary tags, like they were just delivered, and everyone's out driving them. And I I haven't pulled the trigger yet. Like I keep saying it, I'm I'm gonna get the Tesla. I'm gonna get the Tesla, but. I, I'm just, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Well, the first part of it was like, I didn't know if I like was okay with the idea of spending like $85,000 on a vehicle, right? Just because I'm like financial, I like to, I like to see a lot of money in my retirement account yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, more than a car. But at the same time, then I'm like, every time I'm at the gas station, I'm like, ah, so I feel like I'm going to pull the trigger. The model wise look pretty cool. Do you, do you have one? No, I don't. I don't. I did test drive one, uh, and uh, it was uh, it was an experience to say the least. So that was, and I, I actually wanted to test drive it just to see the difference between you know because if you think about it, there's a lot of automation coming in regular gas powered cars, right? If you if you think about it, every car today has the integration with Apple Play. It's got the blind spot detector. It's got you know uh, what do you call that lane deviation, whatever you want to call it. So I want to really see what Tesla was all about, but uh, it's, it's an experience when you step into that car and you're able to see the amount of technology and the amount of intelligence that that car is able to do. It's a completely new experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. So a couple of my business partners had them and then I went and test drove the X like I think last year and it, it like, you just get excited like a little kid when you're driving, it's all everything. There's so many things it can do. It's, it's amazing. I, I can't, one of my excuses for, for considering like to purchase one is like, I just want more money to go to this because every time Elon Musk gets money, he just creates something cooler and newer that pushes humanity forward. It's like, yeah. let's give him more money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then I look at the, that's, that's a, it's a great uh, conversation, right? I mean, if you think about some of the impacts that AI and machine learning and some of this software-defined stuff is coming out, it is, it's, it's really incredible. It's really incredible and it's, it's, able to, it's really able to uh, take us to that whole new level 
uh, of that experience, right? I mean, um, we talk a lot about, you know, stuff that's AI and all that stuff, but even in even human interaction uh, and how AI is able to help uh, us So we have a, Presidio has a very, uh, very large contact center business. What that means is we actually help customers build uh, contact centers and call centers so that they can communicate with their customer. And the amount of AI and artificial intelligence and machine learning coming into that uh, function with natural language processing. So uh, we are able to, you know, detect just in human to human interaction, uh, you know, you call and the agent picks up the phone and very quickly using natural language processing, Joel, you're able to find out what the mood is of the caller who just called. Is he angry? Is he agitated? Uh, and even before the guy gets on the call, guy or girl gets on the call, using voice biometrics, you're able to quickly identify who this person is. Uh, you're able to identify who this person is. You're able to understand the mood. You're able to quickly go through and scan and see how many times this person has called. And during the entire interaction, these, these small little agents keep popping up and telling the agent, the actual human agent, on what to say. Uh, hey, slow down your language. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe repeat it again. I don't think the user understood. And one, one of the things that really struck me was uh, it's also able to help you resolve the conflict. It's able to say, hey, by the way, this guy is calling because he's really irritated about the $25 baggage fee. And if you just refund the $25 baggage fee, I think the call is going to end. It's able to give you that AI information. And exactly in that fashion, the agent says, uh, Mr. So-and-so, would you like us to refund your $25 baggage fee? And boom, you could see a change in his voice and the call has ended much more quickly. So it, it's a very, very interesting time if you really think about what technology can do to help your customers. Uh, even, even, even during global, the, even during COVID, we actually were working with a lot of city and state agencies standing up these massive call centers so that they can uh, they can work with their customers. So, do you think like earlier we were talking about eliminating jobs, and like I look at it as we're creating efficiency in a system that will ultimately lead to like I I can't see it not leading to like a utopia type deal because once you have like if you look really far ahead in the future, let's say that you have robots that can do all the you know, menial task, right? And those are automated. And they have robots that can make those robots from like actually mining the robot materials to mm -hmm. complete manufacture end to end to end. It's just systems that are running. And then, you know, everything is automated, right? Then it kind of just like frees up humans to have human pursuits. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I think about it, I'm like, I don't really know that this is eliminating jobs, I mean, it technically is like eliminating, automating jobs, but that doesn't, I don't really know how to reconcile that in my head. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I look at it and say, it's uh, automation has always been around, right? If you go back in time to the industrial revolution, that was automation, right? And if you, if you sit and think about it, because at the end of the day, when I look at humans, you, you actually have the ability to do two things. You have the physical ability and then you have the, uh, call it the intelligence ability. So the industrial revolution in my mind was automating a lot of the physical tasks that we were doing. That's what machines did. They came in and you know used to do a lot of manual labor and those manual labor got automated by machines. That was the industrial revolution. Uh, I think this revolution is more about 
automating some of those uh, intelligence aspects of it. But to your point, it's not going to automate completely the intelligence that humans have. I think it's going to automate a lot of the intelligence we use to do menial tasks, some mundane processes and repeatable tasks, which is what I think the robots are going to do. Uh, I don't see that utopian world of where robots automate robots and there's going to be robots interacting with robots, but I do believe that humans still have to be there in terms of ex uh, mentioning at least what the what the robots need to do and programming the robots and things like that. The, the expectation that we would be completely uh, away from the process and have the robots completely take over. That's, that's, it's a utopian thing. I do agree that freeing ourselves from the menial tasks and allowing us to focus on some of our human pursuits is what is going to happen because we are now, we've automated our physical tasks and we've also automated some of those manual things that we needed to do as well. So I think that's, that's a, it's a good place to be eventually. Um, but if you are a person that is working today on some of those menial tasks or some of those mundane processes, you have to upskill yourself. You have to learn uh, new, new things. You have to constantly innovate. But that's, a, that's the case with any, any job that you do. If you do not keep constantly evolving and innovating, then you're going to find yourselves out of a job. Uh, one of the things that I tell my team is, if there's a way to automate your job, learn how to do it. Uh, and that's something that um, my the, the engineers in the organization have always heard me say is, if there's a way to automate your job, learn how to do it. Because that's going to serve you better. And if you keep resisting change, and if you keep resisting automation, you're going to find yourself in, in the minority. So one of the things that we do at Presidio, for example, is we do our own shop tank contest. And the idea is to encourage innovation, to get our engineers and our solutions architects and our project managers and the entire team to actually find ways to automate their job, find ways to get better efficiency and to help our customers. Do you get Mark Cuban to come? No, we just do this <laughs> thing. We don't get Mark Cuban to come. <laughs> Who, who, who gets to do it? Are you on the board? Like, are you getting one of the judges? Yes, I am on the board. So is our CEO, our COO. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a well thought of thing. We get an average of 25 to 30 entries and we choose the f last five to actually make it to the Shark Tank finals where I sit and so does my CEO and, and our COO and we all sit and we go through it. And it's a, it's a fantastic, uh, we've been doing this for the last four to five years and it's a, it's just been a fantastic uh, innovation for us. Are you hard on them? Like, is it really like the Shark Tank? Okay, good. We are. Yeah. We are. I mean, look, at the end of the day, this is something that a lot of Shark Tank finalists find it really interesting because we look at it and say, all right, there's a technology component to it, right? Is, hey, I'm going to give you points on uh, using Python or using some of those newer programming languages in doing what you did. But at the end of the day, I also am looking at it and saying, okay, how does that actually benefit a customer? Okay, customer obsession is forefront of everything that we do at Presidio. So you've got a great tool, but it doesn't really solve a problem. That's a science project. Uh, that's, that's not going to be something that really goes up. So what we found over the years is we found that there are projects that were really given a lot of high marks as it entered into the 
finals and there was a lot of a uh, lot of thought that this is going to be the top tool and then it turns out that it's number 3 or number 4 because it did not really solve a customer problem it was really cool from a technology perspective but it's meaningless if it doesn't really address a business problem or a, or have a business outcome that directly addresses a customer's requirement so that is that is another thing that we've uh, we've instituted is not only are we hard on them necessarily from a technology perspective but does it actually solve a business problem no that's very intelligent we were i was actually just talking about that the other day like how do you how do you train your your team to understand like the business value like the value of the results and then how can you prioritize your pipeline of whether it's like new features or whatever it may be to be connected to revenue and customer value because these are these are tough questions where there's no like clear training manual that I've come across. If, if someone's come across it, send it to me. But there, there's no like clear training manual on how to actually do this. It's like something that you can pick up. It's contagious. If you're in the right group, if you're in a good company with good culture, it's there. But I, I haven't seen like, like training on it. Yeah. Yeah. What was the last project that won? Um, can you share or no? Is it internal and private? Yeah, there's there's some internal uh, internal private uh, stuff, but I, I'll I'll give you uh, I'll give you an example of one of the uh, projects that was great was was a great innovation is is uh, we we actually had a challenge internally of trying to find uh, the right type of talent and the right people with the right type of skills within the organization when you're our size. Not that we are super large, but you know we we got sixteen hundred engineers. They've got their own passions and talent and skills, and we wanted to find a way to actually a keep that updated. B, how do we? If I'm a person sitting in the West Coast and I need a resource or I need an engineer, uh, how do I easily find that engineer? Because when you have sixteen hundred engineers, you don't really have a central repository of where you have everything stored. And even if you did, we really did not have a a real search mechanism for that, and so one of the innovations that we uh, that we found was an innovate. Somebody came up with this. Uh, two actually, uh, three individuals came up with this uh, Google Maps kind of interface that you could just type in and say, "All right, this is what I'm looking for," and it's able to show you who this engineer is, where he lives, what's his skill sets, what's his certifications, and it's able to match. Uh, a, a demand uh, or a supply and a demand, and it all in a like a very simple Google-like interface, and that's going to be now used internally at uh, at Presidio. So, did they use like static code analysis of like GitHub, like so they could tell what type of languages and features people are familiar with? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's it ties into our certification database. It ties into our skills matrix database. Uh, but the front end was really innovative that you could just, in it, so it was trying to get uh, natural language processing. So, hey, I need a such and such, just like how you type on Google, because you didn't have to be, uh, so that's a, that was a really nice innovation that we are now going to try and see how we can roll out. Oh, are you going to spin that out as like a product other people can buy? Um, that might be something that uh, we will be looking at in the future, but this is something right now internally to say, hey, this is something that solves our problem. But uh, that was the exact question when we showed some of our sales teams. That was the exact question that they asked us: is, hey, can we can you can you roll this out? Oh, it's so cool! I love yeah. that. That's a, that's like a really good really good idea. Yeah. All right. So what did they get? Like the, you couldn't tell me exactly who won. 
but the winners, what do they get? Do they get to like form their own team and a budget and to execute? Like what, what, what's the reward for, for yes, winning absolutely. over the strikes? So uh, as part of this, you know, when they, they, it has to be a working prototype. And uh, once they show us the working prototype, one of the questions that we have as a follow-up, and especially if they win, and even if they don't win, we take it very seriously, the 20 to 30 submissions that we get. It goes through a bunch of panels and the panelists are told to take those innovations, even if they don't move to the next round, if there's a way to solve a customer problem, let's take that and use it. But the winning team essentially gets funding, visibility in the organization saying, hey, this is something that we do. And uh, is it they're able to form teams and we're able to allow them to go and innovate and actually build on that project. So one of the projects that was the winner two years ago is something that was a script. It was actually an automation, uh, not a script. It was an automated tool that we use when our customers, our managed services customers come to us and say, we've got a problem. This automated tool is able to actually ask, find out what the problem is and is able to respond to uh, problems much quicker than humans do. It's able to understand what the problem is and it's able to integrate with our ServiceNow tool and it's able to tell you, all right, Mr. Customer, we get the problem. Uh, try these solutions first, but we've also got an agent waiting to get engaged with you. So it's kind of a bot that works. Uh, and two years ago when it won, it was a prototype. And now we've got that completely up and running in our managed services team. Yeah, that is like a technology pattern that has come about in the past two years where where the bots will offer you some sort of resources while you wait for an agent or before they hand you off to an agent. Everybody kind of does it a little bit differently, some some better better than others. But, you know, I like that. If they were doing it two years ago, then you've got like some really bright people that are ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah. So I, how, I how did you get... Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. I was going to completely change the topic. So if you... No, <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Okay. Uh, I just want to know about like how you got started in tech. I saw that you have some background in physics, but were you were you young when you knew you loved technology? Was it in college, after school? Like when did you really fall in love with technology? Yeah, so this is uh, this when when I was growing up in high school, I, technology was yeah, it was a passion. I was really good in math and science and stuff like that. But I was not in any form or shape really looking to pursue a career in technology, I was actually wanting to become a doctor. And uh, due to a couple of things, uh, twist of fate, whatever you want to call it, I ended up pursuing a, a physics degree, which exposed me to a lot of the technology side of things. And then eventually did, from there, I went to do my engineering in computers and electronics, which completely transformed uh, what I thought about technology. But coming out of engineering, um, you know, there was, uh, it was, during the dot-com, or actually the Y2K boom, if I think about it now, was during the more of the Y2K side of things. And a lot of people really pursued, you know, those Y2K type projects. And I actually uh, decided that, you know, well, the crowd seems to be going towards that direction. I might as well go towards the other direction. And uh, I had the opportunity to really build and be part of India's first uh, internet service provider, which kind of really got me exposed to networking and security. And that was kind of my first foray into the world of technology. And, and then you were hooked? There, and I was hooked. From there on, yeah. I could see the power of networking back then. If you think about the early uh, 2000s or late 90s was a real great spot to be because you were, you know, the internet was really starting to come up. 
you know, companies like Cisco was really uh, slowly starting to become really prevalent. I think at 2001 or 2000, Cisco was the most valuable company. So we were, uh, you know, I was really hooked on to Cisco. I was really hooked on to networking different things. Uh, the fact that you could actually sit here and connect something miles, thousands of miles away and be able to make it work was something that was really fascinating. Obviously, things like ES, uh, email, then the, you know, the, you know, the WWW, the World Wide Web, uh, and the ability for you to get those information just was, you know, the, the potential back then, if somebody were to tell you the amount of innovation that could come in the last 10 years, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, being able to access any information you need from anywhere in the world using any device, the fact that you could rent out servers and compute space and storage out on the web with, with Amazon Web Services or Azure, it just mind-boggling in terms of how much technology was going there. So as a, as, a, as a fresh engineering graduate in the late 90s, you know, this was in the early 2000s, this was something that really fascinated me and I got hooked onto technology. And then ever since then, it's always been, I look at technology and say, all right, this is something that is now all pervasive. It used to be that technology was, uh, Joel, if you think about it, it, was a business enabler, right? It used to help you business. It was, hey, I could do printing, I could do emails, I could do, um, I could do voice. But in the late 2010s or in the, the, the second decade of innovation, technology truly became not only a business enabler, but actually a business driver. Right now, you've got CIOs who are not looking at enabling business. You're actually, you're actually CIOs are now being asked to drive business, create new revenue streams. So, using technology, like using mo mobile apps and uh, and innovating. So, it, it's it's been a fantastic ride. If you think about how technology was, you know, hey, can you help us get an email system up and running? To now saying, can you use technology to drive a completely new business line of revenue? and a new line of business, you know, make us competitive, get us attracting those millennial customers that are coming out. That's, that's new. That's, that's what digital transformation is all about. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating ride. And I think technology, with, especially with what we are thinking, what we're looking at with AI, machine learning, hyper automation, uh, I think it's, it's got a long way to go. And it's really exciting to be in this business. That's why I put the go-to-market strategy up at the front of the interview because I always want to make that oh like I want to raise awareness for that that if you're if you have this ability as an executive and you're in the C-suite you understanding how value is created and transferred and destroyed and all of that uh, understanding that and the customer makes you so much more valuable. Yeah, like it, make, it makes you infinitely more valuable than someone who's just really good at organizing engineers, which is yep. who I was for a long time. I was just good at organizing engineers together. And that was great. But then I saw this other thing, like, if you have the power to generate revenue, you can do anything you want. And that's, you know, the, the foray and like entrepreneurship. And so kind of like blending all of those things. When I saw that you had go to market strategy experience, I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to figure out what it looks like from your level. But I do have a, a question for you. So I want you to think back to when you were at that first ISP, uh, when you were sort of like in your first experience job and the, the, your, your peers, the people around you. And I'm just curious, you've obviously gotten very far in your career. And so one of my things I'm always interested in is, you know, what, what makes people who get really far different or unique? Like, what is it about them that helped them uh, 
get get farther. My first question is uh, the peers that you work with. Do you like stay? Have you stayed in contact with any of them um, or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm still in touch with a good portion of them. Yeah. Were they all pretty much successful? Was it like just a good bunch? Uh, I think they were all pretty successful. I think the peer group that uh, formed at that ISP, keep in mind that they all decided to choose a, a path that was not well, you know, well thought about, right? Because everybody went to, let's solve the Y2K problem. And here's a bunch of people that were uh, taking a completely different turn. And I think, uh, you know, many of them have moved forward and, and have been successful in whatever they do. But I, I look at that and I remember being, uh, a lot of people told me, hey, are you crazy not getting onto this Y2K boom? Because everybody was trying to do COBOL programming back in the day. And here I am trying to connect and network different things in a secure fashion, by the way. Uh, and we are trying to talk about, you know, working with Cisco and everybody is like, who's that? And uh, meanwhile, everybody's talking about IBM and Y2K and mainframes and all that kind of stuff. So it was a different turn and it was not a very popular decision back in the day, Joe. And so like, what, what are some of the things that like you look back on? And I mean, clearly you have some self-awareness, right? That's like, it's just part of what you have to have at the level you're at. And so I'm just curious, like, what, what are some of the, the strengths that you have? Well, thank you for saying that. I think uh, the, the, the first thing I would tell you is um, always surrounding yourself with really smart people. Like I told you this and I honestly mean it. I, I always consider myself to be the dumbest person in the room. And it's, Not today, it's, my friend. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I still believe that honestly. I beat and, you. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the other thing is, is, is as part of that is, is when you when you feel that way, you always have the, the absolute interest to learn. And you always have the interest to learn and be hungry. And you know, one of my favorite uh, uh, leaders has always been Steve Jobs. And uh, you know, his quote, you know, be hungry, be humble, is, is always something that's in, in the back of my mind. I think uh, always this, this willingness to learn is absolutely critical. Surrounding yourself with really bright people and being able to go and find the brightest talent. And the one thing that I'm very, very particular about is to find people who are smarter than me that I can bring onto the team. This is pointless to bring somebody who's not smart or who's going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. You always want to be surrounded by people that are better than you, have a lot more intelligence and can teach you something and you want to, you want to enable them. You want to, you want to go and hire the best talent to tell you what to do, not to, not for you to tell them what to do. So that's been, that's been a, a, a key part of what I've always believed in is to be that humble, be hungry, always be willing to learn new stuff, be willing to get out of that comfort zone because that's another thing that I've seen. A lot of people get very comfortable where they are and not really change. And, and I think there's, there's, there's that inertia that always comes in at some point where they're really comfortable with what you do and you really stop learning. And that's when you stop growing. Preach. Yes. A hundred percent. I actually, no, I love that you mentioned um, Steve Jobs. I actually got to do an interview and get to know pretty well, uh, like his leadership coach, who's, who's still alive, uh, John Matone. And it was it was so interesting. We had like some candid discussions about it, but it, you know, you you watch a 
a movie about somebody and you use their products and you hear them and then getting like to talk to people that like actually coach them and get different perspectives. It's just, it's so interesting how movies and media and everything works versus, versus reality. But um, yeah, those, those items that you mentioned, absolutely critical things that I hear like very common patterns amongst the people who, who, you know, I want to go to the top. I, and I find that I'm always like a little bit shy about it too. Like I'm always a little bit shy about referring to like the 1%, but in my mind, that internal voice in my mind, I wake up, it's 5.30 in the morning, I'm out there grinding and while everyone else, all my other competitors are sleeping, right? And dreaming, <laughs> I'm, out, I'm out there building the future. But uh, I, I definitely like, like the style and the way that you think. But thank you. Thank you. And like I said, it's, it's, it's the team. It's, uh, it's absolutely the team. When, when you surround yourself with really smart people, I think it makes it much easier. Uh, it's not going to make you really comfortable, which is the whole point of surrounding yourself with uh, really good people. And then, you know, reading and learning, you know, Joel, is, is absolutely key. Uh, is absolutely key. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of information out there. I think we are uh, almost at the point of information overload. So there's nothing like picking up a real good book and doing your own analysis and, uh, and, and things like that. So yeah, it's a fascinating, it's absolutely fascinating uh, time right now. You also mentioned earlier being humble. And I didn't want to interrupt you because I was like, oh, I want to talk about that. But one of the things that I've learned about that is it's it's interesting because what it does is it sets you up for like less pressure right like if you go around and you're the king with all the answers and this that and the other there's it just you this persona or this ego kind of takes on momentum of of its own but if you're constantly surrounded by smart people and you're questioning your own ideas and and thinking critically and being open that, hey, I'm going to facilitate this conversation. I don't necessarily have all the answers. That's always that like that just it's like a, it's a better tactic. It's, it's almost like the first tactic was I have all the answers and like just complete confidence and like bravado. And then it, we realized that like everyone will sort of look up to you and, it, and then it, be, it just becomes too much because you can't be everywhere. You can't solve everyone's problems. You, can, you can't have all the answers. So th- this, this strategy of just being humble and, and being self-aware, it's, it's something that I've specifically seen rise up over the past 20 years. And I like the macro direction in which we're headed, like as a society, as a people. Yeah, but you know, just one, this one thing though, I would, I would kind of um, steer you towards is, is, is yeah, there, there's people who look at it as a strategy, and I think that's fine. But I think I honestly also believe that there are people who, who truly mean it too, right? That's that's important. You can't just look at it as a strategy and say I'm just going to say it. Um, you have to truly mean it, uh, and that's that's another part of uh, that that equation as well. And and but by the way, when you say when, when we keep talking about the fact that you have to surround yourself with really smart people, there are occasions where you are the one who have to take a decision. Uh, there's, I mean, technology is one where, you know, there's, there's just so much of stuff that you could do. The perfect example is my emerging solutions business unit. The emerging solutions business unit kind of is that 
is is that a uh, bunch of folks up in the crow's nest looking at where we need to be headed what are some of the trends that are coming up they might come to me with a whole bunch of stuff that where we where we need to make initiatives and investments in and they they might have compelling arguments but at the end of the day that is that is up to you as a leader to make those decisions on where you want to pivot and where you want to make those investments you might be surrounded by really strong people who have really strong opinion about stuff but at the end of the day the decision comes to you to make to say okay is this something that we want to make investment in so uh, and I bring that up because i think it's really important that you be humble but you also have to be in a position to make really unpopular decisions uh, because at the end of the day you are surrounded by really strong people with strong opinions and really intelligent and bright people who have a lot of uh, the right ideas and they have the right intentions but at some point you have to trust your own gut instinct to say all right this is not something that i want to go and make an investment in and it could be a very unpopular decision yeah and that's when knowing yourself and like i mentioned earlier like self awareness like knowing yourself is very important and then also having principles like to mix in cuz after i read that book principles a few years ago by ray dalio i was just like this is such a great framework for thinking about things you might be able to yeah, see that back there Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I got mine back here too. Yes, that's right yeah. there. It's, it's one of my favorite books too. It's a great book. Isn't it good? I follow him on LinkedIn too. He'll post one. Now I want to I want to make sure because it's um 57 after here that you have a, a hard stop at two. So uh I can I can go a little bit. I think the meeting is might be two fifteen, but I can go a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So we were talking about um unpopular decisions, being able to make those, having a strength. Um, of knowing yourself being useful but when you mentioned humble um first of all i loved it because you you saw a different side of it that i didn't see that there are that there may be a person who is just saying they're humble let's 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 give some insight um or shed some light on let's say that there's a person out there who isn't humble but they're 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 trying to make this change because they they want to experiment with this act of of being humble and maybe they're just kind of like you know saying it how, how could they actually work on that like in a real way uh one of the things that i i look at when when i'm faced with this is 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 uh, does this does this guy really uh, walk the talk right is 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 this a, i mean i say guy guy or girl walk the talk is is the is the humility really there and what i've seen is i look at what they have actually done kind of has in their life and it's a very easy telltale you you would be able to find that out really quickly because uh you'd see that usually uh if you're really not meaning it if you're not really walking the talk your your success rate is highly questionable secondly you you the people that you surround yourself with are not people who are going to be ready to take a bullet for you for lack of better words they're not you're not going to have that level of loyalty because people it, it it comes out really quickly joel if you're truly not the person that you are and you're just putting on a show it's going to come out so my advice to those people is you know to really think about and be really truthful to yourself when you actually say uh you don't know something you should actually say you don't know something and one of the things that i think as i found to be really uh awkward is uh this this kind of notion that if you say you don't know something 
it's looked upon or it's frowned upon. Uh, this is this nobody who knows everything. Uh, and I think we got to be really clear there. And and so there are times when I don't know. I just don't know. And it's okay to say you don't know. And, and not pretend that you know, not not really put a show that you don't know. You just fine. It's it's okay to not know. It's okay to make mistakes. Uh, and I think that's that's a bigger part of the learning process. Yeah, I I I really do agree. You know what? Things that humble me with knowledge. You know, when I when I get to go out and go into the mountains and look at the sky at night, right? With how big it is. That's one of those things. Or watching yeah. like the Cosmos series. But even getting to talk with with all of these different leaders, like yesterday or or earlier this week, I was talking with this guy who was explained to me on a detailed level about like how internet traffic works um, more so than I had learned previously because I, I realized that I have this tiny little sliver of experience when when developing applications and it really has to do with like understanding design UI business logic and that's like its own thing you know I'm not like down close to the metal or or doing you know all these all these there's so many areas to to have expertise in it's just absolutely overwhelming, but it's also beautiful because we're at a time in life now where we can just start piecing these things together to create value in the marketplace. And for me, I have found that I gravitate like towards the things I enjoy most in life. And for me, that's watching the growth of a team. I mean, yeah. it's, I have, I have two kids, uh, they're under the age of, of four, but I have two kids and like watching them grow and learn new things. I get a similar similar it's different but a similar feeling of like watching my team grow and progress so I, I really enjoy that i enjoy good conversations and so i I've, I've really been working on understanding myself and then structuring my life to where i'm doing the things that really get me going that really yeah. excite me because i feel like rather than trying to find purpose right or rather than trying to like discover these things it's like let's just understand where I'm at today and structure my life so that I'm, I'm excited about what I'm doing and, and where I'm going. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now with like philosophy of, of self-development for Joel. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Do you travel a lot too, Joel? Yep. So like last year I did 50 plus cities. So usually I'd be like, Oh, you're awesome. And this is a fantastic conversation. I'm going to come out and see, I'll be out there in a couple months or something. But uh, since, since the COVID stuff, I haven't uh, been traveling that much. Do you get to travel a lot? I do. I do. One of the things that uh, obviously I have family back in India that I go and visit. Uh, but uh, we also try and uh, try and hit one new country every year. Oh, nice. And uh, I've, uh, I've always believed that traveling just completely changes your perspective and changes uh, a lot about who you are, which is again, going back to the whole, you know, be humble conversation. That's, that's another part of it is when you travel, you, you really uh, get to understand who you are. You understand what the world is like. And, and, and you kind of, you, you begin to see how insignificant, how insignificant you are. And it's beautiful because once you accept that or, or understand that you can say, okay, what's the, what's the one small thing I'm going to chip away at? And, and what's like the one little mark I'm going to leave here? Like, it makes you spend your time wisely. And I, I like what you said too, traveling, that there was something 
the first time I got off a plane and I was like by myself in a new city I had never been to, there's this, there's this unique feel about it. But then it's like you're out of your comfort zone and then you get comfortable. And then you go to a country there where you get off the plane and you don't know the language and you can't read the signs. Like the first, when I stepped off the plane in Sweden, I was like, oh, I didn't think about this. <laughs> I had to take like two trains and a taxi to get to my, yeah, yeah. my hotel. But it's, it's just a, it's that explorer, that adventureness in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. How do, how do we wrap this up? Because um, we got a few minutes. We, we told people about Presidio. They can go to presidio.com. Uh, yep. They're interested in learning more about, you know, your, you do cloud security, digital infrastructure, stuff like that, right? Yeah. So, so again, uh, you know, we, we pride ourselves as being that, uh, you know, kind of a true lifecycle and managed services provider for, you know, everything digital transformation, uh, specifically around workforce transformation, you know, digital infrastructure, modernizing infrastructure, uh, cloud right, as we call it, which means we believe there's the right type of cloud for every type of workload uh, or use case. And then uh, finally, security, which we kind of wrap everything up with. So we, we, let, we are really, uh, we believe strongly in the fact that, you know, we think uh, we, we have a really good solution set. We've got some really good ideas around how you're helping our customers solve some of these business challenges and business problems. And, uh, you know, again, we've got 1,600 engineers, so we've got a very strong engineering focus and a lot of talent in-house that can uh, help our customers really really solve true business problems. That's exciting. This has been great, man. I want you to know, per, like, from me to you, whatever you need, whether it's personal, professional, anything I could ever help you with, you're like, oh, maybe maybe Joel knows somebody or could help. Um, I genuinely mean that I'm here if you need anything at all. It's the same way around. So, and, and thank you and congrats on, on, a, on a great business. It looks like it's a, it's a fantastic, uh, I had an opportunity to listen to a few of the podcasts. So uh, congrats on, on what you're building. Thank you. Any, any feedback, positive or negative from the episodes? It's great. It's a, it's a, I, I would say it's a unique format. And, uh, you know, when my marketing team approached me about this as well, I thought this was really unique because, uh, you know, we have a lot of the, um, a lot of podcasts and, and you have a, really a lot of the celebrity speakers, but, you know, sometimes you want to really get into the, uh, into the weeds uh, and really talk to people who are building new things. And I think this is a great, this is a great platform. Well, you have an open invitation whenever you'd like to come back on. We can hang out, talk about life, technology, whatever you'd like, okay? Absolutely. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Joel. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.